Somebody told me this morning, said, I'm not used to seeing your name on the other side of the page. If you look on the bulletin and I replied back, yeah, I'm not used to my name being over there either. At early service this morning, when uh, we started singing, I sang through one full verse before I realized I don't have to sing melody because I'm not leading. Uh, so I started trying to sing tenor, but then it took me a whole nother verse to figure out the tenor because I'm always used to singing the melody. Anyway, it's good to switch roles every now and then. When we read the first uh, three Gospels, they primarily spend their time describing events in the life of Christ. John, on the other hand, emphasizes the meaning of these events. And his emphasis was not only that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies, but also fulfilled the types. Hence, we see in John the use of phrases like the Lamb of God, the ladder from heaven to earth, or the serpent lifted up. Or as we'll see in our reading this morning, that God became flesh and blood and lived among us, his people, in the person of Jesus Christ. If you'd be standing, please, as we read our text from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. God bless the reading of his word. Many of us may not uh, think about it, and some of us may not even realize it, but there are actually two sets of Christmas stories in the gospel, or in the gospels. One set of those is from the gospels of Matthew and Luke, and if you've been with us for the last uh, several weeks leading up to Christmas, you know that Tommy preached from the gospel of Matthew, and if you were with us on, at our Christmas Eve service, we read from the gospel of Luke. The other set is from, or the other story is from the gospel of John. Now, the two from Matthew and Luke, those are the ones that we're very familiar with because we can see these stories, we can visualize them, we can imagine what's going on, stories such as Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, the baby in the manger, the sheep and the shepherds, the angels and the angels' choirs, the three wise men and their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. But when you look at John's story, it's not quite as cute or easy to picture. There's a French professor by the name of Maurice Lamoureux who's assembled famous paintings of biblical stories according to biblical theme. And on the theme of the birth of Jesus, Dr. Lamoureux has indexed 500 paintings that depict Jesus' infancy. And he claims that they're all based on the accounts of Matthew and Luke because, obviously, their accounts are so picturesque and can be easily visualized. 
Now, he also claims that not a single one of those paintings is based on John's version of the Christmas story. And certainly after reading our text, that's probably very easy to understand because it is somewhat abstract, maybe a bit philosophical, and sometimes hard to wrap our mind around it. Now, I'm not going to dispute his claim, but I have a painting up here that I think is going to show, or I think we can picture a little bit of what John is trying to say. Now, immediately, what gives it away? How do we know that this is not based on John's story or John's version of the Christmas story? Anybody? Okay, you've got Joseph in the background. You've got angels in the background. You've got Jesus in a a crib. Uh, That's obviously. But I want to center in on um, that right there. You can see here, you can see Mary, and it looks like she has a book in her hand. We're going to assume that that's probably the scriptures. She's got that in her right hand. She's got her left hand. She's pulled a cover away. She's looking at the baby Jesus in the manger. Uh, Obviously, behind her there is Joseph and whatnot. And I don't know, I'm not sure what Rembrandt, I don't know if anybody for that matter knows what he wanted to communicate with this picture. But if we let our imagination wander a little bit, I think we can see a very prominent and powerful picture of what we encounter and understand the Word, or one way we encounter and understand the Word of God. On the one hand, there's the Bible, the book that Mary has been reading while Jesus sleeps. The Word, capital W of God, is to be found in the Scriptures. And it may be that Mary's thinking, oh, so that's what Isaiah meant when he said, or, hey, this is you that I'm reading about. When we read the written words, and find, we find that we are addressed by the Word, capital W, of God. We read them again and again. And this is why the book appears to be well-thumbed. Mary is pictured as one who knows well the written Word of God and who ponders it in her heart. And many of us, hopefully all of us, have a Bible or Bibles that are well-thumbed and well-read because as children of God, in verse 12 of our text, but all who, had, all who received him, he gave power to become children of God. We know the scriptures to be God's word, a manual by which to live. But Mary doesn't ponder the word alone, the page alone. She also ponders the infant beside her, the word made flesh. Rather than the word made just simply paper and ink. The word is a blood-warmed, breath-enlivened creature sleeping beside his mother. And the word became flesh and lived or dwelt among us. Now think back with me for a moment to the Old Testament. The Shekinah, or that which lives or dwells, was the Hebrew word, that was actually used for the visible presence of God among men. And many times in the Old Testament, we read of emphasis of where God's glory was visible among men. The glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud, or the glory of the Lord settled upon Mount Sinai, or the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, or the glory of the Lord resided in the Ark of the Covenant. The glory of the Lord has always been present among men, but now it has been revealed in a way like never before. The glory of the Lord has appeared as one of us. He dwelt or he lived among us. The Greek word there, he literally pitched his tent 
in our midst, in our neighborhood, in our yard, if you will. We understand God is human because God made himself to be like us. So when Mary returns to her reading, she will understand what she reads at a greater depth because she has encountered the word through the word made flesh or Jesus in real life. When she tends to the child, she will understand the child at a greater depth because she has encountered the word through the words in the book. So back and forth between word made flesh and word through words. The more we understand and get to know Jesus, or the more we understand and get to know one another, the more we understand the words of God written in the book. And the more we understand the words of God, the more we see and understand the word made flesh in each other. A verse that just kept popping up and coming to my mind is out of Matthew 5. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that's a pretty, I guess, broad statement. Um, I know when I have couples come in and I'm doing counseling, sometimes it's just a general a general statement that they're out there. Well, I just want my husband or my wife to love me more. And I say, okay, well, what does that love look like? What does that mean? How do you boil that down to some actual actions? Love in and of itself is a very big word. But he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Without the word made flesh, I think it's a little, it's more challenging, I'll put it that way, to try to figure out exactly what Jesus means when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because when I think about uh, loving someone who has hurt me uh, over and over again, or who has done me wrong, or whatever it may be, it's very difficult for me to wrap my mind around it if it's just something that I have to follow because what I've read. So with the word, without the word made flesh, the written word, I think, at least for me anyway, would be impossible to live out. Had I not an example to follow, someone like me, who loved his enemies and prayed for those who persecuted him, I don't know that I could or would be willing to do the same. Now, I've told my wife ahead of time I was going to use her as an example because I'm talking about enemies and she's not really my enemy. But I I love her very much. I think most of y'all probably know that or see that. But some days are harder than others uh, to show her love and forgiveness because of her weaknesses and her idiosyncrasies and things that she does that bother me. But then I think to myself, "You're you're not all perfect yourself, Mr. Elliot." And I remember and thank God for the way in which she loves and forgives me and puts up with all my weaknesses and idiosyncrasies in the way that I make her life maybe sometimes miserable. I do it for two reasons. Number one, because I'm commanded to do so in the written word, but also because I have been shown by the word made flesh or by Larissa herself being Jesus to me. I have a friend uh, who we, and we always haven't seen eye to eye on things. Um, I did some things uh, in the past, probably still do some of those things. Um, and they weren't, any, they weren't anything bad, wasn't anything immoral or anything like that. But it, because he didn't like them, he said some hurtful things to me. Well, that just devastated me and it crushed me. And um, I'd sit around and pout and complain because, 
I'm saying, you know, he's not being a very good Christian. He's not being a very good uh, witness because of the things that he's saying, because of the things that he's doing. And I certainly wasn't going to stoop to his level or, 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 or bow down and be the one to go and initiate. I thought he's the one that's going to have to do this to repair this, to make it right. But some time did pass, and I finally got over my pity party. And I began to think, you know, there's got to be something about him. There's got to be something uh, that I can do. There's got to be something more to that situation than just what's there. So what did I do? I went out to my garage, and I got my tent, and I drove over to his house, and I pitched in his front yard. Not quite, but I did go dwell among him. That's the example I'm trying to get to. I got to know, I thought, I've got to get to know him better. So we went out, we had coffee, went to where he works, we talked. I asked him to tell me his story, how he had grown up, how he came to know the Lord, and I shared my story, how I'd grown up and how I came to know the Lord, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And gradually our relationship changed. It got better, closer, warmer, friendlier. And I believe that we have both come to appreciate and respect one another because of our efforts. Now, would I know how to do that had I only read it? And not been shown it? I, I'll give you a little bit, but I guarantee that because I not only read it, but experienced, but experienced it as well, I am better or able to do a better job at it, be more patient, more merciful, more graceful in that whole process. So like Mary, we come to understand the Word more and more fully as we oscillate between the book and the child, between the word through the words and the word made flesh. Back and forth between the word made flesh and the word through words, our faith grows as well as our trust. We understand and appreciate more and more the grace and mercy that God has shown us, and in turn, we extend that to those around us. And isn't that what community is all about? A place to put flesh on the written words of God. Certainly, church is where we come to worship God, to, to give Him praise and glory. But one of the reasons that we come here, because it's a place for us to practice being able to put on, or to put flesh on the words that we read. I appreciate very much, and I know many of you do, and many of you are aware of the efforts that Rush Street Ministries is doing, the, the work that Bob and Kelly and all the volunteers do over there. But one thing that Bob has been pushing, and I think it's a way, it's, it's a way for us to put flesh on the Word of God, if you will, the idea of blessed to be a blessing and that not being just a one time a year going out and delivering a box of food to a family. But he's encouraged us over the last couple of years to keep those cards, keep the name of that person, and pray for that person throughout the year. Last year at Easter, and I'm a hunch is that the same thing is going to happen this year at Easter, he brought that back before us. And he said, okay, remember the people that you delivered to at Christmas or Thanksgiving. He said, now, here's an opportunity, if you want to, to take them another box of food and invite them to come to church. So that's a, it's an opportunity for us to, to not only read what it says that we're supposed to do to those around us, but to actually put that into practice, turn that word into flesh, and actually live it out. The efforts of Lois and Kevin and Doug, who work with our children and our teens and our college students, 
They're not just about providing a safe haven for fun and fellowship, but they're about promoting and providing avenues for them to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our community as they serve, uh, as they serve the Lord. They serve food at Kids Eat, a program that's during the summer. Uh, when the school closes down, there's a lot of people that don't have food. And so some of the churches and the organizations down, we took on one of the schools, uh, Fort Concho, and that was an opportunity for us to get out and put flesh on the words of God, to give out clothes on a four rams and a cow run where the college students go out with the cow from Rush Street and hand out clothes, or the little kids bringing canned food or socks and underwear. Uh, They have socks and underwear drives to give to those in need. Uh, Many of you are involved in WBS grading. Some of you actually are working in the office and and you prepare those lessons. You make sure they get mailed out. You make sure that lessons that come in get distributed to the proper graders. And then there are those of you that, that uh, take care of Harvest House, that love that ministry and, and make that the best motel or the best hotel uh, and free at that to people who are in town because they have loved ones in the hospital and they couldn't otherwise afford to stay in a motel. And that list could certainly go on and on. There's so many ways in which we're actively acting out our mission statement, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength here at the church. In Christ, we find one wonder leading to another. The more we know him, the more wonderful he becomes. The longer we live with him, the more loveliness we discover. The more we think about him and with him, the wider the horizon of truth becomes. And the more we extend his love to others, the more his word is seated in our hearts I'm not much of a New Year's resolution type person. Uh, I think if you resolve to do something, you need to do it then, and you don't need to wait till the New Year comes around. But nonetheless, it is the New Year. Many of us do uh, take New Year's resolutions. And I guess my challenge would be to take this New Year to seek ways to develop a richer and fuller faith by tending to the Word through words and the Word made flesh. Just to think about the ways in which that we can put flesh on the written Word of God. You know, is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is there a relationship that you need to reconcile, that you need to restore? Uh, does your church attendance need to change? Do you need to become more regular? Do, is there a ministry that you uh, need to become involved in? There are a, a lot of ways that you can become involved and have opportunities to put flesh on the Word of God. Some of my favorite TV commercials are those aired by the Foundation for a Better Life. And the one that I'm thinking of, I thought was Foundation for a Better Life, but Kirk Hawkins informed me this morning that it's actually Liberty Mutual Insurance, uh, which is fine. It's, it's still a good commercial. But nonetheless, Foundation for a Better Life, if you've seen those commercials, it's about teaching respect and things and whatnot along that line. But this particular one from uh, Liberty Mutual Insurance, there's a, uh, and I call it the chain reaction. That's, that's what I'm going to call it. And uh, it starts out, and they're at a traffic intersection and there's a young man, and I think he's got a pizza box in his hand, and he's got his earphones in, and he's about to step out into the street, and there's oncoming traffic, and there's a lady that's standing there, and she realizes what's going on, and she reaches and grabs him and pulls him back. 
Well, somebody across the street witnesses this, and the next scene, you see uh, this guy in a bus, and he's sitting there, and there's an older lady that comes up, and she doesn't have any place to sit, so he stands up and gives her his seat, and somebody else in the bus witnesses that, and so the next scene, uh, there's a, a young mother who has a stroller, and she's trying to pull it up some stairs, so that person goes over and picks up the stroller and helps her carry it up the stairs, and on and on it goes, until finally it comes all the way back around, full circle, to the intersection with the young woman reaching to pull the guy back in. So I guess as we close today, my challenge to you is, what kind of chain reaction are you going to start this new year? Let's stand and sing.